Hey everybody and welcome to the Mentors Collective on Entrepreneurship. As you know, I like to bring in experts in certain subjects that I'm not an expert in myself. And on this episode, we're going to be discussing leadership. Now, whether you like it or not, if you are building a business, you are going to have to adapt and learn how to be a leader and lead a team. I know I've gone through it myself. I'm very lucky today on this episode to have Ken Banta, who's the founder of the Vanguard Group for Leadership. He has trained C-level executive business owners. He's led executives in networking and building leadership skills. He's hosted seminars. We're super lucky to have him today. So Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me with you guys. Of course. And I know we just spoke about this briefly before we got started, but a lot of our listeners here aren't C-level executives and aren't founders of major organizations, but maybe they're just getting started. Maybe they're just starting to build their team. So we'd love to just start, kick this thing off with some really great value for beginning that journey into leadership and going from entrepreneur to CEO instead of just entrepreneur. Talk to me a little bit about that. What is, what is that journey like? Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the biggest uh, shifts uh, that people need to, uh, to make is uh, first of all, uh, moving from uh, really dealing only with themselves to, to leading other people. And the other aspect I'd say is shifting from what might be thought of as like management to leadership. And so let's start with the first part of uh, dealing with groups larger than yourself. Uh, When it's just you, really you have to convince yourself to do things and you decide when to stop things. When you have more than two of you uh, and one of them is a follower, then you really are into a different role, which is also motivating and persuading people to do things. And that's the piece that uh, takes you beyond yourself. It sounds simple, but it's a very huge step for all of us to make to go beyond deciding what I would do to thinking about what a group should do and then thinking about how do we get them to get there. The other aspect of it that I think is really important is that uh, people often confuse management with leadership. And uh, the distinction that that I make between those two things is management is more or less the day-to-day stuff, you know, paying the bills, keeping track of who's doing what, maybe uh, keeping track of your, uh, your clients or vendors. Those are important things, but that's management. But the leadership part is, I'd say, uh, much more developing, perhaps followership. So in other words, you want to, people talk about leadership all the time, but great leaders have followers. And so you want to be able to develop those capabilities to get people to want to go with you to where you're going. The age of telling people what to do is uh, pretty much over. Or if you try it, it doesn't usually work. And frankly, the younger the people are, the less likely it is to work. So you've got to develop capabilities to create people who want to follow you, who want to go with you, and who are persuaded that the mission you're on is really worth doing. Yeah, I love that. And that's something that I've actually learned in my own personal business endeavors over the past year or so. And, you know, as we started to build up those leadership skills within our own organization, me and my business partner, we started to hold on to people more. We started to get more out of them. And I was starting to notice all of the mistakes that we had made in the past where people would quit after the first week. Like what you said, it's so important to develop those leadership skills and really get people to buy into your mission, buy into your story and buy into you. Yeah, I I would agree with you totally, Jay. And I think, um, you know, if you had to pick one thing to start with, because it can get quite complicated to try and think about every aspect of leadership. You know, my own feeling is if you can help people to see uh, that sense of purpose that's bigger than you and them that you're all going for, that's uh, really a huge victory. It's not always easy to define what that thing is, but once you have it in your hands, then it's really compelling. And then the other part is for them to really uh, feel that you are working for them and not the other way around. So you know, ordering people around, assuming they know what's going on in your head, sharing your views without knowing that they do. Having those assumptions can be really, really problematic, as you probably found out. And um, people will tend to not say there's a problem, they'll just leave. <laughs> uh, but I think when they start leaving on a regular basis, you know, there's a problem. 
And on that idea of purpose or mission, you know, I think it's a huge difference between what you do and what it means. And so, uh, you know, you could be collecting garbage and that is what you do. But what it might mean is being environmentally sound. It might mean a better neighborhood. It might mean uh, giving unemployed people work. It might mean a lot of different things. So that's where the, uh, the, the, the job versus its meaning, I think, are really important to figure out. So even if you have, I mean, you guys have a very interesting and obviously important role that has its, its, its purpose is pretty visible from what I can see of what your organization does. But other people might have a bit of a struggle trying to say, well, making widgets, what does that really do for people? Well, you got to get to the bottom of why the widgets matter, not that you make them. And uh, if you can't figure that out, then you probably don't have a business. But if you can start to see why people would want to have your widget and why it would be great to work with you making that widget, then that's, that's basically you've got your sense of purpose in a bottle. Absolutely. And, and story sells. It's a, it, it always has been. And when you're working with employees, you're, you're selling to them. And that's something that we've also learned along the way. Another thing that we just touched on briefly was some of the mistakes that maybe leaders and business owners make when they're first starting to embrace that they are leaders and CEOs. Can we talk for a minute about uh, some common mistakes that those leaders make and maybe some things that they can do to avoid making those mistakes? Yeah, sure. And you can tell me if they resonate you know, for you as well. But um, so far they have. if you've seen them in action, it does have to be you. But uh, you know, what I've seen with, uh, with a lot of leaders is, first of all, they can easily start to drink their own Kool-Aid, by which I mean they start to believe that what they think about themselves is truly real. And uh, usually you need to have somebody, uh, either yourself or somebody close to you, has a good, honest appraisal of, you know, you are not the best in the world at X, or one of your biggest problems is Y. And, uh, you know, get real, you're in charge of a company of five people, not 5,000, because there is that tendency to start to see things through... Uh, kind of rose-colored glasses. And that, uh, I'd say the other piece that's very important and it's related to that is what you might call confronting reality. And confronting reality can mean lots of different things in different situations, but it's basically another way of saying, uh, don't get too caught up in your fantasy of what could be, face what really is, the way things really are, and then build from there. And so, you know, for, uh, for example, uh, someone might say, well, you know, hypothetically, we could have 500,000 customers paying, you know, $500 each to be part of our organization or to buy our product. But you need the uh, kind of, uh, let's say, kind of realistic edge to that to say, well, how many could we get in the next year? Maybe it's going to be one hundredth of that. And will they all pay that amount of money? Maybe they'll pay one tenth of that initially. So let's start with uh, kind of a realistic assessment of things. Uh, so it's realism first with yourself about you. Second, realism about the business. Third might be realism about the environment. And then a fourth realism might be about your people. Are they all going to be brilliant entrepreneurs like yourself, or at least as you see yourself? Probably not. I mean, you can't afford to hire people like that. And if they were all like you, they wouldn't be here because they'd be running their own business. So, you know, you got to have a realism about what they can do and what they can't do. And then that comes back to yourself. I think once you see what they can do, you have to kind of assess what are some people better at than you? Because the, the common fallacy of leaders is that they're great at everything. But the reality should be that you should be attracting people around you who are better than you at most of what you do, if not everything. So you may be great at marketing, fine. You're the CEO and the head of marketing. But are you really great at finance? Probably not. So bring in someone who's strong in finance instead of pretending that you know all about that stuff. But those are some major errors that people make of uh, really the Superman theory of themselves, that they can do it all. And of course, the, the best answer to that is to just remind yourself that you're not. Yes, I couldn't agree with that more. And there, just as you said, there's so many things that I know now that I am horrible at and hate to do. 
such as finances, spreadsheets, data tracking, which are super important things, but realizing as a leader that you're not going to have all the answers and aren't going to be the best at everything, I think is a really important realization to have. And just like you said, very important. Another thing I'd add, I mean, you could go on and on, but I do think another thing that is uh, really important, and I'm terrible at this, is to realize that uh, often good is good enough. In other words, you know, you do want to be excellent in certain areas, but in a small organization and even a really big one, you just can't be, your team can't be great at everything. And also, if you're expecting everyone to be great at everything, they start to be good at nothing because they're so burned out and uh, so worried about what you're going to say. you got to have a tolerance for good is good enough, including with yourself. Uh, you know, uh, maybe you are the only one in the organization right now who can do the finances. Okay, well, you can't stand it. You're not great at it. But you'll try to get good enough at it that you don't sink the ship. But you also know that the minute you bring in someone new, at a high level, it's going to be for doing that because you know you don't like it. And uh, it's interesting you said that you don't like it and you're not good at it. That's usually the way it is. If you don't like a certain function, then the odds are very high that you're also not particularly good at it. Yes, absolutely. Because who wants to practice it and try and get better? Yeah, yeah. But some things you just can't, uh, you know, I'm like you. I think the things you sound good at, I'm pretty good at. The things I can't stand are also the things I'm not good at, like tracking, finances. I mean, I appreciate the end result, but I don't know how to get Yes, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Okay. I would love to talk about kind of developing a track to become a great leader. Talk to me a little bit about your track. How did you go from entrepreneur to business leader and then going to teach entrepreneurs how to be leaders? And how would somebody follow in that track? First of all, I started out actually as a journalist. So I was with Time Magazine for uh, almost 10 years. And that was very interesting that, you know, uh, how did I then go elsewhere? Well, I decided that uh, even back then, I didn't realize journalism was going to go down the drain, but I did see that I should try something else before I settled on doing that forever. And so I went into a form of consulting that was uh, business related, but it, it really borrowed on my skills. So it was public relations and investor relations type adver uh, uh, and advertising type advising. So, you know, that created a, a track for me to go from a one kind of career it was sort of a pivot point to being in the business side of things but not a business person at that point, really. I then uh, was fortunate to uh, get hired uh, to work in a very big uh, set of companies that were all, as it turned out, companies going down the drain. And I um, was lucky to work with a CEO who uh, taught me a lot about how to turn companies around. So I uh, was able to figure out how I could go from being a journalist, basically, and a consultant to someone who could become a, a driver of transformation in big organizations, how to get people to change the way they do things, how to get to large organizations to change direction. And uh, it kind of borrowed on some of my previous skills, but obviously very, very different. And then that work basically kind of equipped me to be able to go out on my own and do course after about three companies like that to uh, really pivot again and, uh, and start to help other people develop leadership skills. But it wasn't based on nothing. It was based on experience internally helping people change the way they lead and how to get teams of leaders to move in a new direction. So it was... Um, kind of applying an existing capability, but in a new way. And so I'd say that the lesson there for uh, people who would like to uh, maybe not follow in that track, but to kind of move from one area to another and to grow their career is, um, you know, I think to be really aware of what your capabilities are versus what job you have. So by that, I mean, like in your case, currently you're doing this form of business, but some of your underlying capabilities might be the ability to identify trends, to uh, have a journalistic approach to things, to uh, organize interesting material for entrepreneurs. That might lead you into a very different uh, business, but it would build on those capabilities. So I think it's always good to kind of understand, uh, kind of know yourself, know what your real capabilities are versus the job title that you have. And then you can start to apply those capabilities in different ways, which is really more or less what I did. 
I think the other really big and important piece is to know where you want to go, not in a like a detailed way, but you know, not everyone needs to be a CEO. You know, you might actually think you want to become a CEO. Other people might want to become a CFO, or they might want to become simply very, very good at a technical capability and not be running things. So it's, I think, very important to understand your capabilities and your also your own goals, your real goals, not what other people tell you you should be doing, but what you want to be doing. And then you can start to plot a course that'll kind of lead maybe zigzag route to, to, to that thing. The final element that I'd say is really, really important is to have uh, a mentor or two around you, you know, who can um, give you good feedback, uh, tell you when you're making, uh, really just don't make any sense, letting you know when you maybe hit a wall what you should do differently. And uh, those mentors come in uh, all shapes and sizes. Um, and I, in some ways, acted as a mentor to uh, some CEOs that were uh, many years older than me. And then I've also more recently been mentoring people who were a lot younger than me. So it's not really an age thing, it's more like a role thing. But I think if you can't, you know, you, you'll find one somewhere, but you should really have one in your toolbox. Uh, you know, someone you trust and someone who knows you and someone who also, uh, whose advice you can feel you can follow. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, this is the Mentors Collective. I'm a huge yeah, believer in mentors. Are. I'm part of mentoring groups and I couldn't recommend that enough to people. I know I have them. I have a, a leadership mentor. I have a, an e-commerce and ad mentor. Obviously, not everyone's going to be the best at everything. So I like to segment my mentors. Yeah, I think that's yes. a good idea. And, but, you know, you've got several. Some people have none. So I'd say if uh, you look around and you don't see your mentor uh, among your uh, listeners and viewers, you know, that would really be a top priority. Uh, and ideally, it should not be, well, it really shouldn't be someone in your organization because then they, they can't really see clearly either. But, right, I mean, yours are probably outside, but know you well enough to be able to, to and, and your business well enough to give you some good advice. Okay, so some questions I was just jotting down as we were talking about leadership skills. What are the leadership styles that you really teach? I know there's a lot out there. You know, the Gary Vee is very empathetic. He doesn't expect his employees to care as much as he does, whereas the Steve Jobs was hammering his employees to get the most out of them. Do you teach a specific leadership style? And in your teachings, have you found that a specific style gets better results than others? You know, that's a really uh, interesting question. First of all, I think um, leadership is uh, different over time. I mean, obviously, uh, back in the ancient Rome, uh, certain things like uh, technology issues and uh, other matters you, you led in a different way. It had to be quite authoritarian, even in a semi-democratic form, because there's no way to communicate directly with people uh, in a quick way. As you move along in history, you know, different uh, factors make different aspects of leadership more and more or less important. Today, I think, you know, one very important factor is the, uh, you know, well, the cliche of the millennial generation and maybe even younger now. There are a lot of things that may or may not be true about this group, but for sure they've got a much different expectation of what they're going to put up with in a job and what they expect from leadership. So it tends to be a lot more uh, uh, sort of demanding and inquisitive. They don't take leadership for granted and they don't take someone's word for granted. Uh, they also won't necessarily stay in a company forever also because they don't really feel that the company will stay with them necessarily, which is absolutely true. So why should they? Uh, but, you know, this whole idea of the, the, the company is some sort of big happy family, I, I don't think sells very much with this group. And why? Well, they've got good reasons not to believe it. I mean, uh, it's great to be there for a role and a job and to be with people you like, but do you owe the company anything? Uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem to owe you anything. Why should you owe a company anything? So that's a big change. When you're thinking about the, uh, the sort of the leadership uh, aspects of, of how to operate these days, one thing is to take account of that generation. You've got to uh, be much more of a persuader only because uh, there's no point. This group will 
they don't leave the company, they just won't be paying attention, which is almost worse. So you've got to be on the same wavelength. And to do that, I think you've got to be uh, leading by persuasion, not by dictation. However, you know, I think rather than say that there's one leadership style that would be right for any particular company or situation, I think the best leaders are um, what I would call situational leaders. And by that, I mean that they, uh, they have the ability to use different styles of leadership at different times. So, for example, while I said most of the time they need to be persuading, they know that in a crisis, you don't have time to persuade people. So you got to tell people what to do. But you probably have to preamble that activity with saying, look, I am going to tell people what to do because we are in a crisis. So that's how it's going to work. That's why. And then you'll probably get the buy-in of some of those millennials who might otherwise say, well, why should I just do what you tell me? So you have to be quite clear about the, con the context of your leadership. At the other end of the spectrum, you can have uh, you know, what is uh, known as consensus leadership, where basically you don't do anything until everyone on the team agrees. Well, you know, that is an interesting model that some people would say is good, but that, that can sometimes tie you up for weeks or months of, uh, of discussion. And uh, you know, at its worst, that's what uh, Scandinavian uh, companies sometimes seem to be, which is uh, consensus-driven models you got to get the labor union to agree. You've got to get everyone on the management team to be in favor. It's not enough to say it's a good idea and you're the CEO. You've got to convince everybody to be with you. That can be a pretty, uh, I think, a very uh, dangerous situation because you may not be able to move quickly and make, make good decisions. Uh, so like, but you know, you look at Steve Jobs, I think, you know, basically kind of a horrible leader. He was basically a dictator and a genius, right? But he wasn't a great leader. Other people who are very pleasant and fun to be around and warm and fuzzy uh, may or may not be great leaders. If they don't get things done, then they're not really leading. So I think um, that, you know, as, in terms of a takeaway, I'd say this idea of developing a capability to be a situational leader is really a huge asset. And I think if you think about it and work on it, you can do it. Not everyone is good at all aspects of that, again, but if you really think of leadership as not like one way or another way, but it's, it's like a uh, set of different capabilities that you bring out at different times when you judge the situation to meet them, that's what I think really great, great leaders can do. Going along with that, uh, I know you said you can kind of develop these skills to become a situational leader. How much of this do you think is natural and how much do you think can be taught? For example, I, I know some entrepreneurs who are in my network who are strongly considering hiring a CEO to replace <laughs> themselves as the, you know, the operator of this company, the executive officer of this company. Do you think this is something that can be taught or some people just are never going to be that, that great leader that gets the most out of their employees and then maybe hiring a CEO might be a good idea? Uh, yeah, I think that's very valid. I mean, I think, uh, I don't know if anyone's ever really proven it, but I think that, you know, some traits of leadership are either inherited or they're developed very early. Also, there are things that demonstrate what people really want to be as uh, grownups. You know, uh, some, I think some people who are really bad leaders uh, really don't like the leadership role very much. And so, you know, they prefer to dictate things or they prefer to abdicate things um, or they prefer to be loved and liked versus effective. So I think you have to, again, it's becoming a good, good self-knowledge, you know? And it sounds like some of the people you're talking about have said to themselves, well, you know, I may not enjoy it very much and therefore I'm also maybe not very good at it. So let me bring in somebody who is and let me be the, uh, the founding genius and, the, uh, and develop the next uh, you know, new light bulb or whatever. But I'm going to find someone else to help develop it. And, um, you know, I think that's quite admirable if you can uh, have that level of self-knowledge. I think what's um, really detrimental is to uh, not have that insight and to try to be the thing that you're not. In the end, you know, destroy the company or wreck the lives of the people that work for you who could have had a great career and you kind of brought it to an end because of the way you operate. Uh, you know, that uh, I think is, is not the way to fly. So I think that 
kind of comes back to that self-awareness in my mind and then acting on it. So I think that idea of uh, some people, so I'd say leaders are uh, partly born and partly made, okay? And I'd say maybe, you know, uh, one, one way of judging it is that you can change people uh, from, you know, one being good at something to really good at it or mediocre to great at it like 20% uh, movement is, is possible. Just like in behavior, if someone is uh, not someone who ordinarily earns trust from people, with a lot of work, you could get them to maybe be 20% better at how to do that. But they're never going to become probably 100% better. And the same thing on leadership. If they're really awful at leadership, then getting 20% better is not enough. If they're pretty good at it, but want to become even better, then you could have like a really good leader. That, that's feasible. But it's that, it's that percentage element, I think, that is important. And ultimately, you know, you might hear it from other people, partly, who might say, you know, you're really not good at this, but also you have to really internalize it and decide, you know, are you really cut out for this leadership? And then a final thing to consider is, are you cut out for this kind of leadership? I mean, um, you know, there's lots of different forms of leadership and different kinds of it. I mean, you might or might not, uh, Jay, be really good at leading a not-for-profit, but that's very different than what you're doing now. And so, well, you actually are kind of a not-for-profit, but you know what I mean? It's a, you could be in a social not-for-profit. Would that be the best use of your capabilities, maybe or maybe not. You'd have to kind of, again, look at what does that organization need and what would I bring to it in terms of capabilities, not just in terms of experience. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more with everything that you said, especially that not everyone is born a leader. There is a certain amount that you can develop. I'm sure there's a lot of great educational and mentoring standpoints where you can become the best leader that you can be. But in a lot of cases, that still might not be good enough. So really being self-aware is huge for me as well. I mean, I strongly believe in that. Knowing where your wheelhouse is and where you struggle is going to be huge for filling positions and figuring out really what the next steps are. I agree. And, uh, you know, while I've been involved in various leadership roles, uh, I've not been a CEO of a large company. And uh, I know myself well enough to know that I wouldn't really uh, enjoy that or be, be good at it. I, I, I'm probably much better at what I do, which is to help advise people and think about leadership. I, I do have some leadership roles myself, but I'm, uh, I think, in, you know, sort of self-aware enough to know that uh, that whole business of uh, really trying to get, you know, large teams of people to be with me every day is um, not me. I tend to think everything's working fine, which is exactly the wrong thing to think. Same, same here. Sounds like we have a lot of similarities in that department. Anyways, I guess we have to talk about this now because especially for those listening in the future, we are currently in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, which is just an ongoing fun circus. And I would love to talk just briefly hear your thoughts on what leaders are currently doing right now how leadership might be changing, shifting. What are your thoughts regarding that? Gosh, well, you know, I think it depends a lot on, you know, on where they're being leaders. But I think uh, if it's anything bigger than like a three-person organization, um, and even then maybe they're thinking about it. I think a lot of the issues that uh, are being faced are um, both internal and external. So on the inside, you know, the people part of it is uh, in turmoil. You're working from home now, suddenly perhaps uh, you're, possibly got employees or colleagues who have family and children running around. It may be you as well. At the same time, you're trying to deal with uh, new technologies for uh, connecting with people. So you're not seeing them face-to-face uh, -face in a physical way. So all of that stuff is uh, piling up. Plus, what I think is often underappreciated um, is just the sheer um, anxiety level that this pandemic is causing. So, you know, you don't, you can't kind of see it, but you can feel it that people are worried about their children, uh, they're worried about going, where are they going to go to school? Are they going to go to school? They're worried about whether people in their family are going to contract this uh, virus. Uh, if so, what happens? Uh, 
you know, all kinds of uh, kind of th things that keep you awake at night and, and that you can't actually solve for because they're not in, you're not in charge. And, and those are always the most stressful experiences of any kind is uncertainty. And so here we are in month six or something of uh, massive uncertainty. Uh, it takes a huge, huge toll on organizations. So for the leader, uh, you know, it's not only uh, deal with these issues for themselves, but now they've got to kind of rise uh, to the level of leading other people through it. And you don't do that by just telling people, you know, louder and louder what they're supposed to do. You've got to spend more time, I think, on the phone, empathizing with what's going on, hearing what they're thinking, paying attention when you're on a Zoom conference call. You no longer uh, just listen to what people are saying. You listen to how they're saying it because it may mask or show some aspect of anxiety or concern. And, you, and it's your job to try and, and identify that. Or is there somebody on that call who isn't talking? Uh, that might be a signal that there's something wrong for them. And in a normal conference room, you'd see that. Here, you've got to kind of like intuit that maybe you're not seeing something, tells you there is something. And that's, you know, that's a huge burden for uh, leaders on top of everything else they're trying to do. So I think that internal piece is extremely demanding. And uh, again, it's back to EQ and self-awareness in a way. You've got to have that level of kind of understanding that is not just a rational assessment of what's going on, but you know, each person on your team probably has different feelings and experiences around this. And you've got to try and figure that out and either you know, well, help them through it or identify a workaround or whatever it may be. And then the other piece, you know, that uh, is clearly a huge factor for everyone is the external environment. You have, um, you know, all kinds of situations of uh, clients who are, you know, yes, they'd like to work with you, but not yet. They need to wait till this thing resolves itself. You have suppliers who can't, you know, provide stuff. And so I think another huge aspect of uh, the CEO job now is, um, really kind of out external crisis management. And again, it's crisis management in a, it's an ongoing crisis of uncertainty. It's not like you know what the end result is going to be, but you've got to manage your way through it. And uh, in fact, uh, our organization has been leading a series of um, dialogues that are digital uh, around just this topic with CEOs saying, how are you handling these different matters? And uh, it's just eye-opening. You know, people, first of all, a lot of people listening in who are also CEOs. And secondly, just, you know, amazingly, everything from very profound problems uh, to like really basic ones of, you know, who's going to, how do you deal with vacation when everyone's at home? I mean, I don't know where they're, where they're going to go. And then I think the third element, Jay, is the future. You know, you can't, uh, it's so hard to predict. Most, most organizations operate on some level of forward planning and predictability. You know, we, it may not be perfect, but you figure based on past experience, the sales cycle is going to be X in uh, January and February. We're going to need Y. Well, all that's out the window. No one knows whether they can fly anywhere. No one knows whether anyone's going to need their product or is going to be able to supply what they need for making what they make. Uh, so it's a uh, that 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 lack of uh, clarity about the future, I think, is a uh, kind of a new learning for a lot of CEOs. Probably a good, you know, probably good basic training. I mean, if you can get through this, you can get through a lot of things. I suppose it's you know. We, we think this is terrible, but imagine, I suppose, what it would be like to be trying to work in Syria. I guess, you know, this is mild by comparison, but for a lot of people, it's the first time they've seen this kind of just chaos. Yes. And I was just in Mexico and they don't really have online business in Mexico. So it was a whole other story over there. And I just want to add something to what you said, the first point, whereas all our employees are now working at home for the most part, you know, our offices are empty, everyone's virtual, and you can kind of tell that some people are starting to feel the anxiety to feel the uncertainty and we actually hired a head of human resources about two weeks ago and it's been one of the best decisions that we've made it is quite a bit of a time burden to not just pay attention to see like okay who's who's been a little off who should we check up on, check up on and then go ahead and do that 
so having someone on board to really head that battle who's had experience with it is, has been a huge help for us. That makes sense. And, you know, it kind of underscores the obvious thing that we're talking about, which is that uh, people sometimes forget that, you know, businesses are people. It sounds sort of obvious, but they often assume that, well, you know, just tell people what their job is, they'll get on with it, and then the business will happen. But, uh, you know, as you're saying, if, if people aren't feeling right, then the business isn't going to work. Yeah, it's a strange environment. Everyone's, I mean, we have biweekly Zoom calls. And you can tell, I mean, everyone's at home and just like going through the motions, but having someone there to check up on personally and say, listen, is everything okay? Is there anything we can do to improve your experience? Really goes a long way. That's a good idea. Well, it'd be fun to find out, fun and interesting to hear how that works out because I'd love to know what, what happens with that because you're kind of an interesting, um, some sort of interesting leadership experiment, right? I mean, you, you care about it, but you can't be doing it every minute. So can you get a kind of an HR person to help handle that aspect of it and, and does that work well? Hopefully, yes. Yeah, and it's very much an experiment for us too as well. I've never hired someone to run our HR department before and it's still very new. She's been active for about a week now, but yeah. I'm very hopeful. But we'll catch up in a month and see how it's going. I'm sure it's going to be a good idea. It's just how to, I'd be interested in how to make it work. Yeah, we'll definitely catch up in a month. Okay, so far, this is packed with a lot of gold. I would love to just open up the floor for you to leave some of your last tips, tricks for aspiring leaders, and then maybe something for leaders such as myself, who I mean, I'm running a 30 person organization, and I would love to take my own leadership skills to the next level. So tips for starting tips for tips for people like myself. Yeah, so let's see for for startup people, I think, uh, the you know, the most important thing is uh, to uh, really uh, look at every aspect of your role uh, as a kind of a learning experience for what you would do in the future. So, you know, one way to do your job today is to just get it done. Um, another way to look at it is what can I learn um, from what I'm doing today that will really help me grow into an even, even bigger job for the future. So, you know, for example, if someone currently is working in sales, you know, one way you look at it is I'm doing sales, I work nine to five, and then I'm going to go home. And that was a sales job. Uh, the other way you can look at it is that um, what I'm learning is how to persuade uh, people, how to change people's opinions, how to lead, even if it's just one-to-one, -one, you're still learning skills that you can use to lead larger groups of people. So I'd say very consciously think about some of these capabilities. And again, I, I keep talking about capabilities versus job. The capabilities you're developing as a leader and think of them as leadership capabilities versus simply job capabilities. So I think that's one thing, you know, when you're in a, at, a, at a more junior level, but you're aspiring to bigger roles. The other thing I think, um, you know, is uh, always to... Uh, be open to taking new roles and not always uh, necessarily ones that take you higher up in the organization, but sometimes ones that take you sideways because um, a lot of people think that you're going to be more important by going upward in an organization. But the reality is that when you look at what most CEOs have as experience, they have a lot of breadth of experience too. They've done a lot of sales, they've done marketing, they've, they've experienced a lot of different parts of operations and they've been really good at them versus just a corporate job. So. I think uh, you know, there's always this illusion that having a corporate job is really important. So, uh, but honestly, most people who have a corporate job never become a CEO unless they've had a lot of operational experience too. So that's something to keep in mind, I think. And then the third thing would be to uh, really uh, kind of look at things in bite-sized pieces. I mean, you can't, you can't develop every aspect of being a great leader in you know, a year or two or three years, but you know, maybe think about two or three things that you're really not particularly great at as a leader and try practicing those things in your day-to-day -day work or, you know, or, or even with you know, friends, not in a nasty way, but just asking them if you know, the way you're presenting yourself is kind of addressing one of the problems that you've had. So for example, perhaps you either don't talk enough or you talk too much in a conversation with people. 
try uh, seeing how you listen better. And then, you know, you can do that with friends. Ask them, did I, you know, am I getting better? Am I still the only one talking? And uh, that can be quite helpful. For people at, you know, at your level, I mean, uh, there's so many things to develop. I mean, I would have thought, um, I think, you know, one of the most useful things is actually uh, reading uh, things like HBR, because you get so many interesting experiences there. And uh, it sounds sort of trite, but I mean, you know, it's a great resource for uh, leadership learning for people at, at your level. And in uh, a lot of case studies, which are really cool to see. And the other thing I would do is what you're doing clearly already, which is, I think, you know, a lot of um, learning from others, you know, going out to other events. You've got your own group, I think, of uh, young leaders who get together. And, you know, I think that's a perfect way to, to do things. But a lot of young leaders, you know, don't do that. They're kind of loners or they just, you know, kind of they do their business and then they go home, but they don't really try to learn from other people. Uh, but I think that's really one of the best things you can do at this point, because, you know, when you get really busy and suppose you're you know CEO of a company of 10,000 people well you're not you're not going to have time anymore to do that so you're kind of running on uh, you're kind of running on the gas you already put in the tank but at this point you know you can put a lot of gas in your tank of, uh, of experiences and people and networks because the more you talk to those folks the more you develop networks and it's kind of a cliche as well but you know networks are really important so that would be what I would be doing absolutely couldn't agree with you more you know I believe networking and mentorship and yeah like we talked about before we started the podcast my recent trip to Mexico with my eight other leaders super helpful I mean we were able to you know work with each other figure out what our weaknesses were I learned a ton for everybody in the house so if there's anybody listening who wants to join mentorship leadership group please let me know and Ken with that being said uh, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show with me and what are the best places for people to find you? I know the Vanguard Group for Leadership.com, which I'm going to link out over in the bio. Vernon, who wants to link up with your organization? That's the easiest way, and, uh, and I can give you my email as well, and I'd be delighted to hear from uh, any of your uh, colleagues. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, I'll list your email yeah. as well. So anyone with questions for Ken about leadership or anything like that, please be sure to send him an email. I'll also link his LinkedIn in there as well. But this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. Likewise. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you soon, Ken, and we'll catch okay. up in a month. I'll let you know how the HR went. <laughs> Absolutely. Take care. This is Dr. Jay Feldman, and I just wanted to take a moment to thank you so much for your support and also ask you for a little bit more. If you can take the next 10 seconds and write us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, just let me know your feedback. It means the world to me. Again, thank you for watching. If you love this episode, please share it with your friends, share it with your family. Until next time.